0: If you would then, have your Bibles open to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Today we're going to kind of look at not necessarily the entirety of this event. We're going to kind of build right up to it and look at a little bit this week and next week of of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to ask you to stand right away at the beginning as we, in honor of God's word, I'm going to read not the entire chapter. Some of you are are a little worried about your legs right now. Not the entire chapter, but the first 20 or 21 verses. It says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went one direction by himself and Obadiah in the other by himself. And as Obadiah was on his way, behold, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give me your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he's not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he'll kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. He'll kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send And gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal and the four hundred prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for these people that you have used, that you inspired somebody to write down about these folks to give us an example of how to respond to your great message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. In life, there are those moments, those defining moments where all of us Kind of remember what was before, and then there's this event, and then what happened afterwards. Probably the the biggest one for people my age or, or older, maybe a little bit younger than me, was September 11th, 2001. If I were to ask you about that date, you probably might not know what you did a week before or the week after, but on that date, you know where you were. You know what was going on. You remember when you first heard the news. And for all of us, things kind of changed a little bit on that day. And maybe not directly. You may not know anybody in New York or Washington or anything like that. But even the way our country uh, deals with terrorism or how we see Islam or all of those things changed on that day. It was one of those defining moments for us as a people. And in Christianity, one of those moments went way back 500 years ago this week. On October 31st, we celebrate a different day, but on October 31st, was the, it's called the Day of Reformation. It's when Martin Luther went to a church in Germany and hammered some questions or some problems he had with the church at that time. And it started the Protestant Reformation. And to be honest with you, this church wouldn't exist if that hadn't happened. And so we see these events where there's before and there's after. Well, for the nation of Israel, Mount Carmel was one of those moments. If you have the picture on the slide, go ahead and put up the picture this is a statue that stands today on Mount Carmel, and that is Elijah, and he's got him a, a sword, or I guess it's kind of a dagger, and there's a guy down by his feet that's one of the prophets of Baal, I'm assuming, and there he is ready to exact the justice that we'll see eventually at the end of this chapter. But the events that we, I just talked about are that take place in chapter 18 happened 3,000 years ago. But they were a defining moment for these people. And as we get to the, the events on Mount Carmel, God introduces us to some different characters. The vast majority of what I read this morning was about a guy named Obadiah. Now, this isn't the Obadiah that wrote the book Obadiah. It's a different Obadiah. But there's Obadiah. And then we have this little brief part with, with Ahab, the king. And then, of course, all the nation of Israel gather there on Mount Carmel. And God brings all of these people to this moment of reckoning as they stand there and something amazing is going to happen. But what I want to talk about this morning are the, the characters that God draws to Mount Carmel. There's three of them, two individuals, and then the nation as a whole that I want us to look at. The first is Obadiah, and then it's Ahab, and then it's the people. And when we look at the, the, these three characters, Obadiah, there's a question that kind of gets what well, kind of is on the tip of our tongue when we see everything that's going on here is will he persevere? In other words, we see he's a follower of God. He's a follower of Jehovah, but he's kind of he's at a tipping point. And then Ahab, we're going to say is, is will he take responsibility? He's the king. We've talked a little bit about him up until this point, but not that much. We'll look a little bit more about him in just a moment. And then finally, it's all of the people, everybody else. It's Israel. And the question for them is, will they get off the fence? They're kind of one foot in one camp and one foot in the other. And Elijah, as he brings them to Mount Carmel, he's like, which way are you going to go? And so these are the three main characters that we're going to look at this morning as God brings them to a point of decision on Carmel. And we're going to look at how that applies to us today. Because in many ways, these same questions are asked of people when they come to the cross. When they come to the truth of Jesus Christ, when they come to the truth of do you believe in him, believe in what he did, or don't you? For Christians, will you persevere? For others, will you take responsibility? Will you get off the fence? And so as we look at these characters in the Old Testament, we'll see how it applies to us in the New Testament. So let's start with the first guy, Obadiah. Obadiah, uh, we see in the first verse that, that God finally speaks to Elijah and said, all right, Elijah, the time has come. You're going to go confront Ahab, and and I'm going to bring some rain. It hasn't rained for a long time. It's time for it to rain. And so Elijah sets off, and then we have this little, it begins in verse 2 there. There's this little, what they call a parenthesis, where we see what's going on with this guy Obadiah. The famine is very, very severe. It's so bad, I mean, people are dying. And Obadiah, it says he's over the household. He's kind of like Ahab's chief of staff. Right, he's second in command, and he has, he, quite clearly you can read through this, he's a follower of, of God. And he goes in one direction to try and find water, and Ahab goes in the other direction, and they, he spends a, an inordinate amount of time. When we find out here that uh, Obadiah has protected some prophets, he's divided them up by 50s, and he has kept them alive. He's brought them bread, he's brought them water, and he's had to do this all the while while kind of keeping it a secret. Jezebel has killed off the prophets. She is trying to wipe out Jehovah worship in Israel completely and and totally. And so as she's trying to kill people off, Obadiah is trying to protect some of them. And you can imagine the tension that's going on in his life trying to do this, trying to be obedient, trying to follow God, all the while living in a world where it's, it's, well, it makes me think of what I just talked about with Asia Bibi. I think of Christians in other countries right now that are trying to be faithful to God. They're trying to obey Him. They're trying to carry on what He's called us to do, all the while dealing with intense, extreme amounts of persecution. It's hard for us to even wrap our our, our minds around that, but we can deal with it a little bit. I mean, if you're a a teacher, a public school teacher, in many ways you're you're, you're teaching, you're you're a follower of Christ, you want to try and teach the truth of the Word of God, but in that context you have to watch out what you say. It's it's a balancing act. Or working in any sort of civic type of, of organization. As our, our culture becomes increasingly secular and moving away from that, it's a tension that we have to balance, and it can be difficult. And so Obadiah has done this for, for probably a year and a half, two years. He has struggled trying to follow God and trying to be obedient to God, all the while wondering each and every day, is this the day Ob- or Ahab or Jezebel are going to find me out? And then he's walking along, and he sees Elijah, and this, he's happy. He, he bows down. He says, is it you, Elijah? And Elijah says, yes, it's me. And then Elijah breaks the bad news to him. Hey, get up. Go tell Ahab I'm here. And Obadiah is just like, you got to be kidding me. I have for the better part of years done everything I can to, to do what God has called me to do. And you serious? He says, "I know what's going to happen. You're Elijah. God's not going to let you die. For 3 years we've been looking for you. Everywhere we've gone, we can't find you. Now you show up today and you're going to send me to Ahab? I promise you, God's not going to let you die, Elijah." He's hid you for all these years. He's going to sneak you off again. And guess what? I'm going to be the one that pays for it. And so there he is struggling with this, struggling to say, how can you ask me this one more thing? It makes me think of a phrase that a lot of people often say, God won't give us more than we can bear. You ever heard that? How many people have heard that? Just kind of yes. Is it true? Is it biblical? No. You can search the Bible from beginning to end. You will never find the phrase, God won't give us more than we can bear. The closest thing is coming with temptation. But the truth is God always gives us more than we can bear. That's kind of the point. You can't bear your sins. So what did he do? He sent Jesus Christ because we couldn't handle it. We don't have the power, the strength, or the ability to do it. How many of you have faced a time in your life, you don't have to raise your hands, where you kind of got to the point where, God, I don't know how much more I can take. What do you do? Obadiah, I have this sense he's there. And what does he do when Elijah tells him, hey, go and, go and see him? And Elijah says, I, I promise you, I'm going to see him. Obadiah says, okay. Verse 16, he went to meet Ahab and told him. He continued to obey. It makes me think of what I see in the New Testament for the us as we struggle, as we get anxious, as we have those, those moments where we say, God, how much more? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. If you remember when I went through the book of 1 Peter, we read this. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. That's a great commandment. Man, is that hard to do? Do not be anxious about anything. But what? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You notice that? Don't be anxious. Instead, turn to thanksgiving. When we have the worries and the weights and all of those things, we say, God, I don't know how much more I can take, how much more I can handle. Cast your cares on him and begin to thank him for all of the things that we do have. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts and through the, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As Paul writes there, he gives this progression about how do we see suffering? If we just see it as suffering and nothing else, we miss the point. We miss how it progresses to this level of hope, looking to Christ, looking to the cross, looking to his salvation, looking to eternity, saying this is it. Here's Obadiah. He's ready to go to Mount Carmel. And what's about to transpire? What's he about to see? A reminder of the truth and the power of who God is. God provides that today with the power of the cross. When we go and see and remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has done, He's given us the path to eternity. I think of somebody like Asia Beebe sitting in a prison cell. Day after day, you don't see your family. You're wondering if today's the day they come and kill me or today's the day they free me. How do you continue on in that? You look to the cross, you look to the tomb. Hallelujah, what a savior. So Obadiah, will he persevere? He does. We see, we think. We don't really see him much again. But now let's move on to Ahab. Ahab, he kind of comes on the scene in verse 17. Will he take responsibility? We've kind of touched a little bit on Ahab, but we haven't talked a whole lot about him. He's the king. He's a bad guy. I've mentioned that, but this kind of lets you know he's kind of a low-down weasel. I mean, he's just not a good guy at all. They've run out of water. So he sends Obadiah one direction and he goes in the other direction. And notice what he's focused on. He says, Ahab said to Obadiah, go through, this is verse 5, go through the land to all the springs of water into the valleys. He doesn't say perhaps we may find grass and save the people or save some, some folks that are really struggling. He says, we can save some of the animals. I guarantee you, his household, he's the king, he's making sure if there's anything left, he and his wife and wives, concubines, they're all taken care of. But it's so bad that he's, he's struggling to find enough to take care of his animals. And think about what he's saying. If he finds water, if they find food, he's going to take it, confiscate it from the people to take care of his donkeys. I mean, he's a great guy, isn't he? He can't stand up to his wife. Jezebel is trying to wipe out Jehovah worship. Here's Obadiah, his second hand, and his chief of staff, so to speak, protecting these prophets. He's the king. He could step in and say, you know what? We'll, we'll feed the prophets with these. They're important. Instead, he kind of lets his wife run the show, and she's about as wicked as they come. She, uh, by, by, in case you didn't realize, she's not on Mount Carmel. She doesn't bother to show up. But what, what is pointed out here, what we see mostly is what we see in verses 17, kind of on the next verse. Zahab sees Elijah. And Ahab says to him, is it you the troubler of Israel? All these years have passed. Two or three years have passed without rain. And Elijah had had pointed this out to Ahab when he first said, hey, it's not going to rain. And Ahab has never stopped to say, is it my fault? I'm the king. I'm responsible. I have complete authority to, to dictate Jehovah worship or to dictate worship to Baal or whatever. Instead, what does he say? Is it you the troubler of Israel? And what does Elijah respond back to him? Nope. I haven't done it. You have. You and your father's household. You and those that are in charge. You that are running the show. Will you take responsibility, Ahab? Uh, A few years ago, I had this couple that I knew. They're very godly people. I mean, the type of people when you're a pastor, every pastor wants these type of people that they have in their church. They would do anything for you. They're always down at the church helping out. They've led Bible studies, they're they're praying for you, they're just great folks. And they had a a child and a daughter. And this particular girl, she was, you know, probably in her early twenties, and she had made some pretty big mistakes in her life, done some things that had cost her some. And of course, you know, I knew the parents a little bit and they were worried, they would, you know, struggle with her a little bit. And then one day their daughter went to a therapist, a secular therapist, and began to go through counseling. She came home one day from one of those counseling sessions and sat down with her parents and basically said this, like, yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and it's your fault. I mean, the way you raised me, I mean, I've been going through this and and, and dealing with this and it's really, it's how, some of the things you did to me when I was a child. And I can assure you, no, it wasn't. But it was easy and it's easy for a lot of folks today to look out from outside of themselves and say, the problem is out there. The reason I do the things I do is because of them you remember adam and eve in the garden of eden they eat the fruit god confronts them you remember what happened god confronts adam adam what does he say the woman it's always the woman the woman made me do it he looked at the woman what did she say the serpent it's the serpent made me do it people today the devil made me do it the devil doesn't make you do anything Ahab represents so many folks in this world. It represents really the essence of the gospel. The balance that people talk about, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and all of these things. God is sovereign. He's the one that draws us to him in in salvation. But we have the responsibility, we read through the New Testament, to repent of our sins. To acknowledge that we are sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. This is the heart at the beginning of the gospel. The good news isn't good news until we accept the bad news. And there are some people in a room this size, this many people that still haven't accepted that. They may come to church week after week after week. But they're still blaming others. They're still saying the problem is out there. They're like Ahab. They go through this and then and they're brought to the cross. They're brought to, he's brought to Mount Carmel. And really the question is, are you going to accept who you are? Are you going to accept your responsibility? Are you going to repent of your sins or aren't you? And so there are some today, like Ahab, will he take responsibility? Will you take responsibility for the decisions that you've made? Will you take responsibility for your need to repent? Then we get to the final group of people. This is the group. Elijah says this, says that to Ahab. He said, go gather all of Israel. And so there on Mount Carmel, the the people gathered. That's verse 20. Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So the people are there. The prophets are there. Elijah's there. Everybody's there. But before anything happens, Elijah throws out a question. He says, how long will you go limping? That's a good word, limping. Just kind of not really impassioned about it, just kind of carrying along, not really concerned one way or the other. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And what did the people do? Just sat there. Just sat there. They didn't say a word. They didn't speak up. They just sat there. These are the people of the Mosaic Covenant. They have the law. These are the people that God has has, has saved from Egypt. These are the guys, this is the nation that God has performed many miracles for. There they are. They're confronted and they go, "Mm." they kind of have one foot in the Jehovah camp. There's, there's, There's some, as we'll see as we go through the story of Elijah, that are, well, they haven't bowed to Baal yet. But there's many that are just indifferent, just carrying along thinking they can just live their lives saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of on the fence. This week, I, I get these emails from various organizations, and I got one about a, a, a survey that Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway have conducted. And it's a survey they do every two or three years. It's the State of Theology in America. And they ask a series of questions in your little handout. And you can, I got the webpage where you can go and look at this if you'd like. But they ask a series of questions about people's beliefs. What they believe, how they see God. And they they kind of track it over time. So every two or three years, is it changing? And they break it down based on age and gender and all of these different things. And they also base it down on people's, what they claim about their religious beliefs. And there was one particular question that I think kind of ties in with what we see here. It was asked of evangelicals. Evangelicals would be cornerstone okay it'd be people that generally attend cornerstone or claim to, to to be what what we believe for lack of a better way of saying it and the question that was asked is this it said uh, do you agree with this statement that god accepts the worship of all religions including islam buddhism and so on does god accept the worship of all religions And over, right around, but just a slight bit over, 50% of evangelicals said yes. Yes. And as I sat there and I read that and I thought about pastoring a church like Cornerstone, I thought that would mean there's usually around 200 and some odd people there. There's 100 people here that think you can worship God however you want. And he's cool with that. Go all the way back to the beginning with Cain and Abel. Did God accept Cain's offering? He didn't. From the very beginning, God had said, no, there is a right way and a wrong way to worship me. You read through the Old Testament, we read through the law. There are all sorts of ways God prescribed to the people how you worship them. The Ten Commandments, the first four, have to do with how we worship God. The New Testament, we see it as well. What did Jesus say? I am one of the ways, one of the truths, one of the lives. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what I see when I hear that. 50% 50% of evangelicals agree that God accepts worship of all religions. I see so much of the culture at large seeping into the church, seeping into the people that show up here week after week. They spend hours upon hours watching television, reading all of these things about God. everything is equal and everything is the same and there is nothing good, right, wrong about anything. And so they just don't want to offend anyone, hurt anyone's feelings, just kind of want to limp along between two opinions. Elijah brings the people to Mount Carmel to say, you can't have it both ways. You can't limp along this way. If, it's, if you're with the world, if you're with everything is the same, God is just whatever for everybody that believes however they want and do whatever they want to do, then go. Go out there. But if you want to worship Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, then do it. One way or the other. Will they get off the fence? My fear is I look around at not just corners, just everywhere today. We have so many people that are on the fence. So many people that they're not sure. I don't want to seem dogmatic. I don't want to seem a holier than that. I don't want to seem like, you know, a hater or bigoted or all of those things. If you follow Jesus Christ, there is one way. You're going to be called names. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be, Elijah was. They hunted him down. So Elijah calls them all together. And well, then he, he gets ready to do what he's going to do. But when I look at these, these, and we'll get into the the actual fire coming down and the rain that's going to come and all of that the next time. But when I think of the three questions, Obadiah, will he persevere? Ahab, will he take responsibility? And the nation of Israel, will they get off the fence? It basically boils down to this. Either you're with God or you aren't. Either you're with Christ or you aren't. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, as Jesus was talking to his disciples and the Pharisees were there, he uttered a fairly famous phrase. He who is not for me is what? Against me. There was no limping along between two opinions when you're limping along between two opinions you've made your decision are you going to repent of that in turn are you going to follow christ for a lot of us in here we're like obadiah we say we've made the decision we're following christ we live day in and day out trying our best to be obedient to do what he's called us to do we're in the process of sanctification some days are easy some days we feel like obadiah really really god that much more my encouragement to you today is as he said with prayer and thanksgiving let your request be made known to god don't be anxious but just thank him for what you have continue to go to him when you think of people like asia bb sitting in a prison cell when all you got is god and you say thank you god for my life thank you for your son thank you for your salvation because that's all that's left for all of us at the end of our lives that is all that's left is jesus There's nothing else we take with us.